0: to the Tell It Like It Is podcast, where leading female founders, industry trailblazers, and all-around badass women tell it like it really is. I'm your host, Cassandra Ray. Since we launched just eight episodes ago, I've been amazed and humbled by the response. We've hit the top 20 in charts around the world, from the UK to Singapore, Spain to South Africa, Belgium to Hong Kong but even more meaningful to me has been the messages I've received from you. You've told me about stories that have moved you, inspired you, questions you want me to ask more of, and topics you want me to dig deeper into. Thank you so much. One of the most common requests I've received is to let you in on more of my own story. So today I'll be handing over the mic to a guest host, one you might remember from our very first episode best-selling author and founder of Entry-Level Boss and all-around badass, Alexa Schoen. Given that this podcast is about cutting through the over-filtered, over-edited BS, it only feels right that I turn the mic on myself. No topic, off-limits.
1: I do not know what inspired you to give me this power, and I believe (laughs) that I uh, agreed to it several glasses of champagne in, but here we are. And all of a sudden, I'm in charge. This yeah, feels good.
0: Yeah, I did liquor you up before I before <laughs> I posed the question. But thank you so much for doing this because I know you will not let me get away with any bullshit answers. We'll see. I will do my very honest to not humiliate
1: you, but dig deep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we we I will appreciate dig your deep. consideration. So
1: I do want to start with a little bit of an edgy question. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite go-to quotes about sex, money, and power is, everything in the world is about sex except for sex. Sex is about power. Mm. I think we all know that that's true. But you specifically chose three topics in the subtitle of this uh, podcast that you now host, Sex, Money, and Power. I would like to know how you think sex and money are related.
0: Oh, God, that's a that's a Pandora's box that we could probably spend three hours talking about just in and of itself. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert on that, but what I would say is we talk a lot about careers uh, in this podcast and just, you know, and developing your career and what have you. And I think we would all be a little bit naive as women to think that our sexuality doesn't factor in to our working lives. So maybe that's not directly about sex and more about our sexuality, but I was having dinner with a friend last night and we were saying, and this is exactly the kind of conversation I feel like we should be having more in public. We were saying that we have found it sometimes easier to work with men because frankly, they're a little bit easier to manipulate and I think that is primarily because you can manipulate them a little bit with your sexuality. I think you can manipulate them with patriarchy, you know, because they want to potentially look after you or protect you. And you can't do that shit with women. You just can't.
1: That is true and slightly sad and slightly... Nah, yeah. All right. I agree with you. Do you think that as a woman you can know your sexual self-worth and your financial self-worth as two separate things. Something that I admire about you is that you know your financial worth better than almost anybody I know. (laughs) If if anybody can hustle a dollar or a pound (laughs) or a euro or anything else on this planet, it is you. And so I'm curious as to how you see those linked or not linked in your own life. How do you think about your self-worth versus your financial worth?
0: Yeah, completely unlinked because it took me a long time to learn my sexual self-worth. I mean, I was sexually abused as a child and you know, and then had various other things happen um, throughout my young adulthood. And it took me a long time to learn how to say no. It took me a long time to learn what I wanted. Uh, but it never was hard for me to ask for money. I don't know. I mean, I just was always confident, way overconfident. I mean, I look back at my 20 year old self and I think, pipe down just a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not. You sure do think you're clever. You sure do think you're clever and you are clever, but you're not that good yet because you don't have the experience yet. Mm -hmm. That's what I didn't know then. But in this beautiful ignorance of just believing so completely in my talent or my, you know, my intellect, I just, I just thought you should pay me this. And so I asked for it and I got it a lot, lot of times, not always, but, but a lot in fact, no, I didn't always get what I asked for. But what I realized is that oftentimes what I was asking for was like so off the charts that where we ended up settling was still well above the median. Do you think that arrogance is an asset for women? I think it can be. But I, but I do think it's intimidating to people, very intimidating to people in a way that, I mean we all know this, but in a way that male arrogance is not. And so I have definitely been disliked for my arrogance um, and potentially rightly so. And the people that have had a really profound impact on my development have been the ones that were able to nurture my ego in that way that your ego needs, especially when you're young and you do lack, self-confidence in some areas to say like, no, no, you are really, really great, but maybe tone it down like just a little bit. And that took a long time, but I had some, uh, you know, particularly one amazing uh, boss who just became a a mentor to me. Her name is Mary Lee Riley. Hello, Mary Lee. Um, And she was just really wonderful at these like micro- Adjustments. movements yeah adjustments that over time allowed me to see or helped me to start seeing the bigger picture and the the impact i might have on people but what i would say is that i think that my style of communicating can still be somewhat abrasive in certain situations and that is my feature and also my bug and i know that I think that makes sense. I think something that I have been
1: thinking about a lot recently is how women have to just put themselves forward to be senior. And that is something that I've noticed that you do exceptionally well. And I wonder if you do it intentionally. When I was, I think, just about 28, 29, I noticed that all of my male peers all of a sudden were only going to apply for VP jobs. They're like, it's time, I'm a VP. Like, you know, I would only be the head of that department at Mm -hmm. the age of 28. And most late 20s women I knew were like, well, I think it's probably time for me to become a, a senior copywriter. Mm-hmm. And they were putting themselves on the slower tra- trajectory. How do you feel like you have intentionally moved yourself forward in your career or have you done it just out of bravado? Hmm.
0: Um, well, I think it's boredom. <laughs> that has that has moved me forward in my career honestly i think because i if i do something too long i get bored i want the next challenge and i had uh i worked for a number of years with a business school called INSEAD. um and that's kind of where i feel like i grew up both as a professional and almost like as a you know just as a person and and i was very lucky because i kept getting new projects and new things to do there and and you know if and i did have title changes and stuff, but it was more. I was just able to do more because I had somebody or, or you know, the team of people who were managing me just gave me more to do. And then, and then when I got super bored with that because there was nowhere else to go. I went to business school, and then I tried consulting for a while, and then, um, and then branched out on my own and did some independent consulting, and then went back to higher education. So. I think I've just always wanted new challenges and I and I get bored and I get restless and I want change and I want the next plateau. And I think that's honestly the thing that's propelled me forward.
1: Yeah, but I think that boredom sells you short a little bit. There's a line in my book to totally switch to self-promotion for a second, <laughs> where I say the curious will win over the educated every time. Yes, which I love I, that line. Thank you very much. There might be a little tension there because you did go to business school, you work in higher education. Uh, but to me, what you're describing is not boredom, it's curiosity.
0: Yes. Do you think that you can both te- both.
1: Yeah, both. Do you think that you can teach that kind of curiosity and that kind of behavior to people? I find myself trying to explain it sometimes and I feel like I've never actually gotten there.
0: I think you can if you honor a person's need to feel safe. So I think that I have always been a huge risk taker. And that's probably, I mean, if we psychoanalyze it, it's probably to do with my upbringing and didn't have much to lose and the kind of family that I, you know, grew up in.
1: Give us an example. What is a big risk
0: that you feel like you took? Okay. When I was 18, I had a full scholarship to uh, a very great university called Rollins College in Florida. I took the summer off. I worked for the Democratic Party and had intended to potentially take a year off and work for them. I didn't like the work I was doing. I was in fundraising, not the best place for an idealistic. And also I was like 18, like basically doing nothing important, pushing paper. And uh, here Trying I was, to work like, for yeah, the Democratic Party in Florida. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Growing <laughs> yeah. up in California, it was a different kettle of fish. I can tell you that. Anyway, about two weeks before classes started, I decided to come to London and spend what was initially supposed to be a year here studying abroad. I went with a one-way ticket. I gave my apartment to somebody. It was still in my name. And I was like, you have this apartment. Will you pay pay the rest of the bills? (laughs) Will you pay pay through? I mean, and I never followed up on it. I had a one-way ticket. I had $250 in traveler's checks and somewhere booked that night to stay. And that's it. How did you even... Find the London program in the first place. Was that the first
1: time you'd left the country? Like, how did that? It was the second
0: time I'd left the country. So my uh, my dad, I didn't live with my dad uh, through most of my. Well, I lived with him on and off, but through most of high school, didn't live with him. And he had been on international projects, and I came to see him once. He was living in Scotland, and we spent I think one day and night in London. And I was just walked around the city and I was like, I'm, I'm going to move here. I love it here. I'm going to move here. And my stepmom said to me, oh, you can't just move to another country, Cassandra. That's not the way it works. You have to get work permits. There's a whole thing. There's bureaucracy. Yeah, there's bureaucracy. And of course she was right. But I mean, I've always been so stubborn. So it was almost like her saying that to me. I was like, hm, you just, you watch.
1: I saw I'm this. Find a way.
0: I saw this brilliant thread on
1: Twitter this week that you might have seen as well which was talking about why spite-driven career growth
0: is a thing that we should accept. 100%. Do you think
1: that you do things out of spite? Do you I think a lot of stuff comes to. from that?
0: I used to. Not so much anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit more chilled out now because, mostly because I have a kid, honestly, now. And so the calculus of stuff is different and I just can't get as emotionally invested in petty work Behavior. bullshit. Yeah, because I, you know, I have this whole human that I have to keep alive. Um, and who I want to spend time with. But, um, but yeah, I would say definitely has, if not necessarily career decisions, certainly life decisions. I mean, I think there was a part of me that wanted to prove her wrong. And so, you know, just made this wildly irresponsible choice to give up my full scholarship and sign all this student loan paperwork and come here. But it ended up being the best decision I ever made, right? I mean, it, it opened up this door to an international career, but nobody could have known that.
1: No, time, so just like how when I went to Barcelona for the summer when I was twenty, no one could have predicted that I would still be in Europe eleven years later. Yeah. So, in your current reality, you are relatively public about the fact that you are um, the the powerful breadwinner, perhaps in your relationship, and mm. and maybe that changes and ebbs and flows over time. But right now, I think that's your current reality. What do you
0: feel about that? Are you okay with it? It's magic for us. It's absolute magic. Partially because my boyfriend, Alex, is such a wonderful dad. You know, has this incredible patience and this wonderful relationship with with Leo. And then I think also, you know, again, like not to get too therapist about it, but um, because I had not the most stable of childhoods, I, I just lack this set of basic skills to look after myself. Well, I I can really look after other people as children of, you know, alcoholics and, and, um, drug addicts can often do, but I don't do so well at looking after myself. Why
1: to totally switch gears? Why, why this podcast, why did you start this podcast? I know that you and I have talked before about sometimes wanting to just be a professional badass human and not just a woman. And there mm. are some women conversations that are so outdated. So what, what made you do it, mm. you know, to risk all the cliches of this is going to be another podcast about how women talk about being women. Why did you feel like you had something to add to that conversation?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So the answer might be a little long. I hope that's okay. I'm ready for it. Um, so I, right before lockdown, in the months before lockdown, I had been working on a, a, a startup soapbox, which we did start up, but we're still in beta. And lockdown happened and our progress with that launch had to come to a halt. And so I found that really frustrating because I had this, all of this momentum behind this project. And essentially the mission of Soapbox is to empower professional women with insight about employers from other women who are already working there, and I'm really excited I was really excited about that project. Um, and I think it really needs to exist, so I was and to be super yeah. specific about it, yeah, you know because there are concepts like
1: Glassdoor out there. Mm. you can get reviews on subreddits of what it's like to work at Johnson and Johnson or whatever. Mm. but with soapbox specifically, the goal was really to just completely open the lid on like, this is the kind of sexist bullshit that will happen to you in this office?
0: Uh, Or not. (laughs) I would offer a subtle reframe. (laughs) Sure, you go for it. (laughs) Um, The premise is that women care about some of the same things men care about. And we also have some other things we care about and potentially the things we care most about are different, if that makes sense. So- We've talked a, a little bit before about how much I hate and 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 really disliked when I was younger, how a lot of the women in business stuff was all around motherhood. And my ideas have evolved a little bit on that. I still think there's too much on motherhood, but the first time you're sent to a bathroom to pump milk, you're like, this is this is fucked up. Like I don't want to have, you know produce food for my kid next to somebody shitting. And that's where everybody sends you, you know? And so you do realize that there are some things that, you know, a man is never going to think about. And even if he does think about it, like he's not going to, you know, he's not going to understand. Is there a nursing room? Yeah. I just need to know. Yeah. I just, I just, I just need to know if there's a nursing room. I just need to know if I did encounter some, you know, somebody came on to me, a boss came on to me and I reported it to HR how confident can I be that it would be handled fairly? You know, not because because a bad apple can be anywhere, but the the culture about how those things are handled, that's what we wanted to, to have insight about. Um, in addition to, you know, career opportunities and pay and and all those sort of different things. I think it's important to just sort of highlight the fact that it's easy when
1: you're talking about these examples out loud to say, well, why would that be hard to get answers about? But going through the interview process for any kind of employment situation, there's not really a perfect moment to say, by the way, I know I'm not pregnant right now. I know that also I would get nine months full pay you yeah. know, if I were to become pregnant and go on maternity leave. Do you have a nursing room?
0: Like there's not a good way to get access to that information. No, and actually even maternity benefits. I mean, unless you happen to be at one of the companies like Accenture that publicly publicly because it's a, it's a big bonus. You know, if you, I don't know a single woman who is, um, confident, I'm sure there is one out there, but I do not know her who would go into an interview and say, by the way, what are you, what's your maternity offering? Uh, And it's, you know, it's not something you see in, in anything in your, in the offering. So again, it's not just about maternity, but, but it, it's just an, it's the easiest example to say that you say, look, there's a, there's a place that we need to be giving this kind of insight. Um, so that was the idea. And then I was, I think I was frustrated because it felt like we had all this momentum and then that just kind of came to a cliff's edge. Then mirror that with, um, in the first few weeks of lockdown, I had overwhelming anxiety. I was just, I was up in the middle of the night. I was just worried. I was worried that we were going to get it. I was worried that we were going to spread it. I was worried that my son already had, I was, you know, I, I didn't know how bad things were going to get financially. I, you know, I wasn't sure what, um, uh, what our lives were going to look like. And, and I, anybody who suffers from anxiety, like I do, you know, from time to time knows that once your brain crosses crosses this threshold. You're just in it. From worry to anxiety. Like it's not rational. You're just in it. You're just like spinning, spinning down. And so, you know, I have a wonderful family. I have great friends, but I was just feeling so anxious and, you know, frankly, kind of alone. Well, we were in a global isolation yeah. situation. <laughs> <laughs> and we were isolated and yeah. And um, and I started to scroll through Instagram and Facebook like you never should do when you're tired and you can't sleep and you're anxious, but we all do. And I just got this feeling of like, fuck this. I'm so fucking tired of these. I mean, Instagram is, is a great example because it's visual. So we all understand it. Like these overfiltered, your life is perfect. Dah, dah, dah. But it's not just in the photos we share. It's in the stories we share too. So it's become kind of trendy to share stories of failures, but it's always like, what's your favorite failure? And it's like, oh, I, you know, I tried to do something and I encountered a challenge and I overcame the challenge and now life is great. And that's not how life works. And so I just felt like there was a space to have a more honest conversation about, yeah, sure. Like, how did you overcome that challenge? Great. What's the challenge you're trying to overcome now? Yeah, you know, how are, are the, you still fucking up? Yeah, how are you still fucking up? Or how are you still showing up to a meeting when you're insecure about your thighs? Like, how do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's the real shit that women actually deal with. And I just don't think, at least in, in my lexicon, and the world that I was in, people, we would talk about it. You and me would talk about it at dinner. And even though we would talk about it,
1: what I... Forget to be grateful for sometimes is the fact that talking about it actually is such a new thing generationally. Yeah. I just see my sort of, you know, mom's generation of women get so shocked at some of the conversations that I mention having with friends because you didn't used to speak about fertility troubles with your best friend, that Mm. would be something that would be too private and that's a medical situation and let's not bring it up, right? Or whatever other example you want to think of.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I also, I mean, to kind of counteract myself here, I also feel like we're in this tension because we're also in this kind of like oversharing time as well. There's this weird, you know, and I say this a little bit with
1: nauseating self-awareness because I do share a lot of my life publicly on Instagram and also I am a career coach. And there is a a version of myself that I have to share that maybe feels a little bit polished. I try to keep it as open as possible, but there is a a limit to it. But there is this weird, I think what you're getting at is like life coachification of now everybody is this micro influencer, or even if they're not, they still talk that way anyways. And, you know, here's my bullshit opinion on how you should overcome hurdles in your own life even for no good reason. I don't understand how that became an attractive way for us to speak to each other. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah.
0: But for me, you know, a great example of what I was trying to achieve and what where I felt, I felt like I would feel more empowered if people were more truthful. Um, and I'm hoping other women and people potentially will too, is the story you shared about how you had to overcome these feelings of lack of self-worth in order to, raise money for your business. And what I thought was really interesting about your story was, again, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't like, and so I went and got three years of therapy and learned to love myself and then went and pitched. You were like, I realized this is a problem, kind of had to work on it, went and pitched anyway, through it, got the money, still working on it. And that I feel like will be so much more relatable to all of the women who feel the same way you do, who are like, oh, I don't have to be perfect before I go do this. I can still do this with these conflicts and with these feelings. Do you feel successful? My immediate answer to that, or my immediate feeling when you asked me that, was like, not as successful as I could be. I always have this feeling I'm not quite living up to my potential. I get that. Do you know
1: even just from a pure numbers perspective, what you define success to be? Or, you know, do you define it as a financial thing? Do you define it as a cheesier, I feel successful if I'm in charge of my own calendar? Like, do you know specifically what it is that you would be aiming for in order to
0: 100% say yes? I'm smart enough to know there is no number. You'll always be chasing a higher number. Um because I have just known so many people at all different you know, ranges of the income scale from the multi-millions to 15 grand a year. And I just know that no matter how much you have, there's another plateau.
1: I disagree with that in the United Kingdom. I have met multiple people here who remind me that the American dream is the American dream. Mm. And That's whether or not the UK talks about its own class issues all the time. It also only speaks about its own class, class issues all day long. And I didn't realize until moving to the United Kingdom, I don't know why I keep saying it all The United, Kingdom. Out, the United <laughs> Kingdom. I remember meeting a super successful product designer at Facebook and I was like, oh, you know, I won't say his name, but you know, aren't you thinking about becoming a director? And he's like, oh no, 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 no. Like more money would be a bad idea, be bad news. If I had more money, I'd become a bad person.
0: Oh, interesting. So I don't think that
1: that's true for everybody.
0: Well, I think it would be true for me. Let me put it that way. So the way that I define success, or the way that I, I think I feel successful is if I feel free. And freedom is like super, super, super important to me. It's one of the reasons I think I'm having such a hard time emotionally in lockdown. Not because actually our lives are that bad When I mean, we have it so good. You know, we live in a park. We can, we can walk around. I've been able to launch this podcast. I have Leo. I have Alex. We have, we've been well. Um, and our lives haven't changed that much actually, except I've just been going out a little bit less, But but actually they haven't changed. But the idea to me that I am not free to get on a plane and go somewhere if I wanted to, that I cannot, you know, that was really hard for me emotionally. And so I feel like, And the other thing that was very difficult in the beginning was not knowing what our finances were going to look like, how badly, you know, how bad they were going to get hit because everybody's taking a hit. And I, I was, I thought, oh my God, it was a real wake up call that I need to, to rein in our outgoings. And, you know, as you know, we'll be moving. And and that's a big, big part of the reason. Cause I was like, I don't ever want to be in a position where I think if I lose my job, you know, in three months, I don't know what we're going to do. Or I'm at the behest of my landlord who might not, you know, be compassionate or or whatever it is. And and that's probably a lesson in personal finances that more people would have learned earlier on, but I did not. I think
1: you could do an entire bonus series about just asking people how they think about their own personal finances. Mm. Everybody's got fascinating, fascinating relationships to money. Uh, But that's not what I want to poke on. I want to poke on this concept of freedom because uh, at one point when we were speaking in lockdown, you were the first person to mention to me this concept of lockdown being in tension with a democratic right to assemble. Yeah. And we have seen that go terribly wrong now, especially in the U.S., with people politicizing, mask wearing, and it's this Mm -hmm. whole thing that has nothing to do with science or or anything of the sort. Mm. But this concept of of the right to assemble, how do you see or fear or hope that democracy changes? It's a giant thing, but you are a deeply political person, and I know that we have a lot of the same political issues. How, How do you see politics and lockdown intertwined?
0: This has been a really hard time. And one of the things that I'm disappointed in um, is less of a thoughtful conversation about the rights that we were lending our elected leaders because we knew it was the right thing to do. So, you know, if, you know, here I'm an active member of the Liberal Democrats. I'm on the exec team for... Um, Kensington and Chelsea, and the Lib Dems supported lockdown earlier than it came in. They've been really challenging of the government's um, slow response and what I would consider to be a really poor response. Still better than what we have in America, but but nevertheless, um, you know, disappointing and has cost lives. But we're liberals in the in the traditional sense of the word, and. I don't feel that we, as anybody in the party, at least that I heard, was having a thoughtful conversation to say, we need to ask people to limit their right to free assembly in this time. And that is a horrible thing to have to ask because it is your basic human right. And it is, you know, your democratic right. And we nevertheless have to ask you to lend us this right in order to protect other people's right to live, which is under a threat that we had not anticipated to the extent that we should have done. And we don't yet have another answer to that. But we will have another answer and we'll have another answer soon. And I was really disappointed in the government's lack of transparency about the plan to get out of lockdown and at what stages we would get out of it and how slowly we would go. And maybe it's because they didn't have a plan, but I felt like the least you can do when we are lending you this fundamental right of democracy is be fully transparent about what the trade-offs are, when we can expect to see something different. You know, Johnson kept saying he believes in the you know common sense of of the British people, and I thought, well, if you really believe that, be honest with us, treat us like adults, yeah, speak to us like grown-ups. yeah, speak to us like grownups and um, and I, and I'm, I'm still upset that nobody's challenged the government on that and, and i'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed in in the Lib Dems for again just not tabling that that thoughtful conversation um, that it was a difficult trade-off and moreover, I am heartened to see that, in spite of the lockdown. Black Lives Matter protests were nevertheless uh, allowed to happen and not shut down for these reasons. I mean, they also happened at a time when we knew more about the virus. And at the time they happened, we knew that outside spread is very rare uh, or re- more rare, certainly, than than indoor spread. And so I think we knew the risks were lower than if it was, you know, assembling, for example, in a church. Um, but, you know, your right to practice your religion is also a fundamental right democracy. And so if we're asking people to lend us that right, you know, we better have a plan to give them back that right as soon as it's safe. And we better be giving the information, I think.
1: I so admire the way that you talk about it because you talk about it as your own right and something that you deserve. And I I don't have a deference to authority, but my instinct always is to just want to keep people safe. Hmm. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, whatever, you can, you can have that one, <laughs> you yeah. know? Uh, and I think what you're saying is so important because it is having to watch the way that this would be reversed. Why do you think 53% of white women voted for Trump?
0: The only answer I have is patriarchy. It's the only answer I have. I cannot believe how successful the hate Hillary campaigns over the last 20 years have been. You know, I remember having a conversation about this with my brother who has um, a daughter and saying, you know, he he didn't didn't like her. How many times did you hear this? Like, I just don't like her. There's just something about her I don't like. Can't uh, put
1: my finger on it. Can't put my finger on I it. I think it's that she's a woman
0: yeah. and that I have internalized misogyny. I yeah. don't know what
1: it is. Yeah. You know, Elizabeth Warren, she's cool, but there's just, there's just there's something, just something right? about her. There's yeah. just
0: something about her. And, uh, and I, I would say, you know, here is, here is a woman who has been in the arena really working towards things she really cares about. You don't have to like everything she did. You don't have to agree with all of her policies, but she is an admirable woman. She's an intelligent woman. She's tried to make the most of her life. And that is somehow dislikable. See, I mean, so oh God, I could go so far down this rabbit hole, but look at how much people made fun of Sarah Palin. And to me, Sarah Palin is essentially a mere, a mere image of Trump. I mean, potentially even less bad. Um, because I'm so not sure she's an bad. actual. Yeah, she, I don't think she's an actual narcissist or sociopath, and, well, I, and, and I do think he is. And most importantly, Sarah Palin
1: was a dumbass, but wanted to operate inside the box of mm. politics. And I think what we're seeing in America right now is that so many things that we thought were legit really actually were just a gentleman's agreement of here's how politics is gonna work. Mm. You know, and. Uh, Giving government contracts to Mar a Lago, oh, God, I know, and that being um, a thing where it's like, no, we're just going to do this now. This is now yeah. a thing that we do, and no one's going to challenge it. That it's, kind of thing. That if you read about it with the Venezuelan president doing it, it would be like this is corruption at its core. Yeah. And
0: we're like, mm, I don't think so. No, I mean he's a. I mean the Trump administration is a masterclass in in corruption. Um, they're going to be teaching. They're going to be using case like case studies from this administration in law school and business school. For decades, if not longer. You feel more hopeful about the future or more scared about the future right now in this moment? In this moment, I feel a little bit more hopeful because of the Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project has restored my hope in our future and in potential, like our political future and also and our ability to talk to one another. And I, I mean, I would actually love, love, love to sit down with some of the women who have been involved in the Lincoln Project um, because it's really heartening to me. And I listen to their podcasts and I obviously watch their amazing ads. Um, but it's really heartening to me to finally hear Republicans, a group of them, not just a lone voice, Standing against Trump and saying, You know this is a republican I mean, I'm not a Republican. Uh, I'm not like super left wing either, but I'm not a Republican. I've never voted for Republican in my life. I can't see myself ever voting for a Republican. And it's really heartening for me to hear Republicans with whom I disagree on a lot of policy but with whom I can now see shared values that I've never been able to see in, well, certainly not in the last, you know, since Obama was elected, when I felt like things got really, really personal and animated between the two sides. Um, And it's heartening for me to see this group of, of Republicans saying, we have to defeat Trump and we have to defeat Trumpism, and they still have a view of policy that I don't necessarily agree with, but they're willing to say, burn it all to the ground. Um, we have to rebuild this party if we're ever going to have one. And that gives me hope because I, we've just seen this tribalism on both the left and the right, but much more on the right. And I, and I hate when people are like, oh, it's happening on both sides. Yes, it happens on both sides, but it happens a lot more on the right but at the moment. When
1: it's just that kind of classic, like you fall in line and you vote this way, almost like mafia style approach to things. Yeah. I think we only see that on the right. Yeah. Like what Trump must have had what dirt did he have on Paul Ryan? <laughs> like I know something. And Paul Ryan by the way, I'm so pissed. That he was just like we're good here. I'm stepping down. I'm like you were responsible for so much of this,
0: yeah. And you get to go just hide in the Midwest and. But retire. so many, but so many of the good ones retired. Well, the you know good ones, not the good ones, but uh, retired. You know, and now they're just just I mean, <sighs> we can but hope. We can but hope because the president has the nuclear codes. So, so I really enjoyed this,
1: and the thing that we get to do now is to talk about your famous quick fire or quickish fire questions that happen at the end. So I have them in front of me. I'm going to read them out and hopefully not
0: screw them up as I go through them. (laughs)
1: Uh, What is one lesson you learned
0: the hard way? Not every battle is worth fighting.
1: What is an opinion that you once held strongly that you've
0: since changed your mind about? I thought at the beginning COVID-19 was just like a flu. And it was all going to be fine. And I was very, very, very wrong about that. What's something you
1: think women don't talk about enough?
0: Our own power.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What unearned privilege, unfair advantage has been most instrumental to
0: your success? Probably, if I'm totally honest, my whiteness. Yep. What are you still insecure about? My belly. Yep. Was insecure about my belly before I had Leo and even more insecure about it now. How do you handle it? I pick clothes that hide it a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. How do you handle rejection? Not well. Oh my God, not well. My little girl comes out in me every time, big or small, big or small.
1: What? And what I'm like, is the, you don't like me? Is that, is that the trigger for you? That, oh my gosh, you don't like me?
0: Yeah. yeah. It, which is so strange because I do have this style, right? Of communicating that I know is not everyone's cup of tea. So I've, my entire life, I've been like both really loved for that style, but also like very like, oh God, she's been exhausting for that style. And so I know that. And yet like, yeah, it hurts my feelings when people don't like me, Alexa. It sounds, that sounds so like, immature and trite, but it really hurts my feelings when people don't like me still. I think that that makes sense specifically because there are so many people who, to your point,
1: like you so fiercely. Uh, and one of my favorite quotes that tr- I try to say to myself in those situations is uh, from the famed burlesque performer, Dita Von Teese, who said, you can be the ripest, juiciest peach in the world, and there's still going to be somebody who doesn't like peaches.
0: Yeah, it's true, and you know, but you're that, like it's bullshit not to like peaches. Peaches yeah. are great fruit. Peaches Why would are great, not especially like, like a ripe, juicy one. Exactly. Count me in.
1: Yeah, if you could go back in time, what message would
0: you give to your 20 year old self? I mean, it's got to be buy a house, buy Apple stock, buy by something. It's got to be that. I mean, which I which I said with a recent podcast, uh, that would definitely have to be that. But I think that aside. Yes it would be insider trading aside. Yeah, insider trading aside. Um, I think it would have to be trying to learn this lesson of you don't have to win every battle. You know, it's again, it's a cliche. You choose your battles, but your ego always wants to be right. And almost like the smaller the issue, the more you want to be like, but but don't you see how right I am? I'm so right about this. How can you not see how right I am? And that's so alienating and so counterproductive in in work life. It's so much better to save your capital for the battles that matter. And I mean, I don't even like seeing the world in this like battlefront, but there definitely is, I mean, your career can be a war and it's worth saving your capital on the things that actually matter. the important parts. Yeah. And I wish that I, yeah, that's what I would tell myself. Start practicing that because it it, it does need to be practiced. You're not going to learn overnight. Yeah. Start practicing it. We
1: are on the eve of a very exciting birthday for you. Mm. Not exciting, but a very big one. Yeah. So you are about to turn 20s. 40. Yeah. Let's say we're having the same conversation 10 years from now. You're about to turn 50. What would you come back and tell yourself right now today?
0: I think I would probably say do more yoga. You know? Yeah. Get stronger, get bendier. Because the body's only going downhill from here. I yeah. can already see it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When I start to bend over a lot with Liam, i my back. Oh, my back. Like... <laughs> go, and what you realize is that growing up, you'd say, oh, like, you know, when you're a hundred years old, but like now I'm starting to sound like my old parents to myself about mm-hmm. me, you know? So yeah, I think I would say do more yoga. So God damn it, I should do more yoga. Okay, that's yeah. a really good one. We all
1: we all should. What are you really fucking good at? This is my favorite of all the questions. What are you really fucking good at?
0: I am really fucking good at telling a story, I think. yeah, And getting other people to tell theirs too. Mm.
1: Thank you so much for your time and for sitting in the hot seat today. Thanks it has for- been a pleasure to inelegantly attempt to guide you through this interview and I hope we get to do it again every every eight episodes. This is my idea.
0: This is, this was so much fun. I was so nervous when we started and this was so much fun. Thank you so much for, for doing it. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed hearing me in the hot seat on this one. We have some great interviews coming up and next week we're also launching a new bonus series pulling together some of the best content that sadly had to be cut from my favorite episodes because I can literally talk for hours with these women, and I often do. If you've enjoyed the series so far, please do subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It really does help with the series in front of more badass women and a few men too. And as always, if you've got a story and you want to tell it like it is, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with me over at soapbox.org.